0: Church. We are going to be in Titus If you want to turn there I want to talk to you today about A misunderstood word Now does, does God have a sense of humor or what? He wants me to talk to you about a misunderstood word I know that probably anybody could do a better job than me To talk about words that get misunderstood But, uh, but that is what he has given me to do I, I, it is, words are just confusing to me. I know you guys, I don't have this problem, but, man, I tell you, I'm just going to give you some examples. We'll test each other on this a little bit. Here's a couple words. Principal or principal? What? Isn't that the same word? Actually, principal with a P-A-L is the guy that's at your school, right, in charge of everything. And, and the other one is like, you know, uh, uh, setting a law or the truth. Um, how about this one? Immigrate, immigrate. Hmm. This one's confusing to everyone. I know the definition. Okay, so the E, uh, immigrate, it is when somebody goes from another country, uh, from one country to another country. They immigrate, right? The IM is when you decide to stay there permanently. I'm still confused. Why don't we just use one of those? But that's the, that's the way it is. How about lie or lay? So you lay or lie means that you put something on the surface. And lay means you put something in place. And I know I use that. I butcher that one all the time. But here's some others. Fewer or less. We, we misuse this all the time. <laughs> accept or accept. Effect or effect. I even saw one, you know, I I always get this one confused. The I period E at the end of, you know, a paragraph or a sentence or something. And the E period G. You know, I always get those confused. But the IE means, in other words, and the EG means so on and so on kind of thing, examples. So it would be appropriate for us just to put E-G, E period G at the end of this one, because there's this all of these examples. But words, words, I'm no expert. In fact, I'm no expert. Is that N-O or K-N-O? I'm just joking. I, I know that one, actually. But, uh, but I want to talk to you about a word that gets misunderstood in the churches all the time. And we're going to go with misunderstood by defining it in God's dictionary. Because this is God's dictionary. This is God's book. And he gets to define these these words the way that he wants to define these words. And, And I want us to try to look into his word and see how he defines this word that we often misunderstand. The word is grace. The word is grace. In the New Testament, it is used 154 times. 154 times he uses this word. And in the English, it's charis. It's actually, when they say C-H-A-R-I-S, they actually, you can't even really hear the, the C. It's charis, uh, is how they would say it. Um, we translate it in English. When you find this word, this Greek word, in the Bible, these are the words that we would use and substitute for it. It would be things like this. It would be, uh, obviously, grace, but then it would be favor you know when mary found uh, favor with god it's mary found grace with god okay we sometimes translate it thanks sometimes we translate it gift sometimes we translate it credit sometimes we translate it benefit and and all these words we use when it when it's just the greek word pros Kyle Idleman tells says in a a, a sermon that he preached at Saddleback in in California not too awful long ago but he was talking about grace and he says in that sermon that's nowhere in the New Testament nowhere in the Bible does Jesus use the word cross grace but I actually found one it's in Luke chapter six I think we're going to go look at that next week when we talk about forgiveness but but I completely understand what he's saying, and he's right. I mean, this is the only time that he does, and he's not even talking about grace when he's, he's talking about love, of course, but, but it, I completely understand. 154 times, and the only time it even came that we recorded only coming out of Jesus' mouth is in one little verse or one little passage of Scripture. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't care about this word. He didn't think a lot about it. In fact, he thought a ton about it. I mean, he, he cared greatly about it. But what he did was, and this is what Kyle is, is pointing out, is that he always told stories to help people understand what grace is. He would tell parables. He would, he would instead of using the word grace and using words to try to define it, he would use word pictures, right? Right? Now, Paul, he uses this word all the time. I mean, 154 times, and Paul gets most of the credit for using this particular word. And we benefit greatly by Paul's writings. He, he writes and, and, and explains and defines this word. But you know what? I, I am so thankful that Jesus literally uses word pictures because I am a word, I mean a picture kind of guy. You know, when I go through a book, I'm looking for pictures in that book to help me understand what's going on. That is just the way I've always been. And, and I like being able to see something. When I see something, I understand better. When I feel something, because of what my eyes are taking in and what I'm, the emotions and the things that I'm feeling, I understand it longer. So I appreciate when Jesus is using words, I mean, using pictures instead of words to describe things because I understand it. I comprehend it better. When we see grace, when we literally see it, I think the light bulb comes on. I think not only do we now, we, now we understand it, but now we feel it. Now we grasp it. Now we are affected by it. When we truly understand God's grace, I think it turns our world completely upside down. It changes our behavior from, I mean, it, we go from night to, to day. We, we are radically changing over, I mean, just in a very quick amount of time when we completely understand grace. God's grace. If, if God's grace doesn't affect us that way. It's probably because we misunderstood it. Let's look at Titus chapter two. This is going to be our main text for today, although we're going to look at several others. But Titus chapter two, verse 11 through 14 is a great text to kind of define for us grace. This is what it says in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us zealous for good works now first of all i want you to see the impact of of the words the impact of what he's saying here the first thing that he says is it brings salvation to all people you see that in verse 11 for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all people that's what he's done all people all ages he has brought salvation all colors and races he has brought salvation all nations and nationalities he has brought salvation God does not leave anybody out when he brought salvation into this world there's no reason for us to to argue that it's just the way it is Jesus's grace is for all people The second thing I want you to see here that is really impactful is that grace completely and radically changes us. Did you see that? Let me tell you about the grace of God that saves all people. And look what he says. He gives us a list. It changes us from the inside out. It says it causes us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. There's ungodliness and worldly passions that were in my life. I encountered the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And now it has drove me to renounce those things. To not want to be any part of those things. Now maybe that has not happened to some people. But if, if so, I would say that they have misunderstood God's grace. Because this is what, he's telling us what grace, God's grace does to a person. It causes us to renounce ungodliness. It causes us to do that. And worldly passions. Listen to what he says. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When? When we leave this world? When we go to the, the beyond? No. Like right now is what he says. Here and now. It causes a change in us from the inside out. The moment that it comes into our lives, it affects us like this. God's grace does. If you have not been radically changed, I want you to question whether you've understood God's grace. Maybe you've misunderstood it these years. Because that's what it brings. There's two big obstacles that I want to talk about that, that, co- that come into play and cause us to misunderstand God's grace. There's two big obstacles. They're kind of like on both sides of the spectrum. And, and they creep in on both sides and they, they dilute and they cause, you know, this confusion. The first one, the obstacle I want to talk about, it's, it's, it's the kind of the merit system Mentality, everything that we have going on in our world is is kind of got this merit system blend, if uh, so to speak about it. Everything you everything that we have you earn. If you're going to get something, you've earned it. Right? There's no such thing as a free lunch, and and it's this way with everything that we have. I mean, we say that grace is free, but we're like, yeah, but not really. I mean, you, you still got to earn your, your keep, your your way. Not too long ago, there was some young people, the mastermind of this was a 17-year-old in Florida, who he and three other guys figured out some way to hack into other people's um, uh, Twitter accounts, some celebrities, some people that are very well known. And they put out this message on their behalf that said something like, you know, if you give me a 1,000 Bitcoin, I just feel like i 'm just filling in a really gracious mood, right a giving mood. If you give me a thousand bitcoin i 'll give you like a hundred thousand i don 't know how much it was, but i 'll give you a bunch of bitcoin and There were people out there that fell for this, right? They said in just a short period of time, just moments after this thing hit the air, they had collected over a hundred thousand dollars from people instantly. Well, of course, they caught them. you guys have probably seen it and know about that but but we weren't surprised, were we? When, when this came out to be a scam or, or a hoax, I mean, don't you know that we've been trained enough to know that you don't click that button that says that it's going to give you a million dollars or a new home or, or something like that? It's not going to happen because we have been trained ever since we were little that if it sounds too good to be true, what? What? It's probably too good to be true. And it's just hard for us not to understand that when, when the Bible tells us that grace is free, that's just too good to be true. I have to earn it. I have to figure out how to get it. You see, the merit system is something that dilutes our understanding of grace. It's in everything. You go to the school, which we just started school, right? You get an A because you, you earned it. It's in the sports. You're on the starting five because you earned it. That's what the coach will tell you. You earned this spot. It is in religion. Every religion besides Christianity, you have to earn your level, the next place, the next dimension the next enlightenment, whatever they say, but it has to be earned there. And so we have this grace, and it's so hard to not have a little bit of the merit system creep into it. So a lot of people cannot truly define grace without formulating some kind of merit type of grace. That's why we have this, this problem with uh, uh, the Bible explains over and over in, in, in Galatians and Romans chapter 6 or 5 and 6. Some type of earning salvation. We call it a works-based salvation. And it's a real struggle for us. When you ask somebody, do you think you'll go to heaven? If I were to ask somebody that... Most of the time, I would get something like, well, I hope so. Right? What do you mean you hope so? Well, I hope I've been good enough. I, I, I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. At least I try to read my Bible every day. If Jim's going, I'm going. Right? If Sally's going, I'm going. I know that I'm going. I mean, whatever they say, it has something to do with this flavor of merit. Like, I hope that I earn my keep that he's going to let me in because of some kind of performance that I've done then there's the other obstacle that is on the other side I don't really know what to call it but it's it's just this idea that it is free and zero strings attached it's just like you, you don't earn it you couldn't earn it and you don't have to do anything to earn it it's just free let me illustrate this with a story. A preacher told this story to illustrate grace. This is a story. He's, he talks about this guy that I think he came back from like Vietnam sometime in that air, and he's driving across Oklahoma and he's in a souped up car, convertible car, and he's going like 152 miles an hour down this stretch of road. And he passes this cop, and he tries to, you know, hammer it down as fast as he can. He got down to what he thought was, you know, like 100, 110 before he clocked him. The cop pulls him over. The cop comes up. Do you know how fast you were going? And he's just, you know, doesn't even really know what to say, but he's like, yeah, I'm not sure. He's like, I clocked you at 152. He's like, well, that's probably about right. Now, he's expecting the cop then to have him step out of the car and haul him to jail, right? I mean, this isn't even a ticket-worthy cause. But the, cops, the police officer says this the very next thing. He says, so what do you have under that hood? And so he tells him this, you know, what he's got under the hood, this, this, this mechanic lingo. And the next thing you know, he's this, the, the police officer says, you know, I'm heading to break. And the next thing you know, they are at a coffee shop talking about cars together, these two. They talk, they finish up, shake hands, they go their way. And the preacher that tells that story, he says, that is the best story ever to understand grace. I think that is the worst story ever to understand God's grace. Now, I think it's a good story to understand this police officer's grace okay it's it's about grace but it's just not anywhere close to God's grace because here's the thing and here's the problem with that story is that somebody committed a crime right broke the law and nobody paid for it nobody did the police officer didn't pay for it the guy who was speeding didn't pay for it nobody paid for it See, God is not, that's just not God. God is a God who is just. Somebody broke something, somebody's got to pay for it. And so often this is the mentality, just like the preacher. He misunderstood God's grace because he thinks that it's just free. You get off scot free and you, don't, you have no obligation, no burden, no sense of anything. And it's not the picture that we have here in Scripture. Look at Titus chapter 2. Remember, in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God, and he goes on to explain in these next uh, few verses, that it changes us, right? Jesus Christ has changed us. And look at verse 14. It says this. It says, who gave himself for us to redeem us? He didn't get off scot-free. Somebody had to pay for it, and guess who paid for it? It was Jesus. You know this. Jesus had to redeem us. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus died in our place. Jesus went to hell, even though it was three days, Jesus went to hell for us. Jesus did it so that we wouldn't have to. But God didn't just let people off scot-free. In this should make a difference. It should really change things up. It tells us in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm going to read out of the NIV. I just like the wording better for understanding purposes, but it says this. It says, God made him, talking about Jesus, right? Made him who had no sin, he had no sin, to be sin for us. He literally put our sin upon him even though he had no sin he now becomes one who has sin because he took our sin that's what it's saying so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him that we might be seen as what he was seen as being perfect and without sin he was our substitute in that and that is so important for us to understand because the Back to the story that the, the, the preacher told about the guy who was speeding. What do you think? I mean, in that illustration, do you think that... I, I would be surprised if he even bought the, the priest's officer's coffee that day. Maybe he did. But I bet he didn't buy it for the next year or two, Right? He probably didn't send him birthday cards for the next forever and, and Christmas cards for the next forever. He, he probably got in his car, called his friends if they had cell phones back then. I don't remember when all this started, right? But if he had cell phone, he called his friends, and he probably sped all the way home. Thinking, man, whew, that was close. Wasn't that nice? And you realize that that's how some people are living their Christian life? Oh, I love it. The preacher just told me I can just go out. Whew, that's good. I'm just going to live my life the way I did last week. And it's not like it really affected and changed. It didn't do what it says in this word where it says we renounced those worldly passions. We do not chase after those things. We, we are self-controlled now. It, it, it's a bad illustration because it doesn't put anybody in a substitute. Where somebody had to pay. If somebody had to pay, I think you would feel more appreciative and more obligated by it. Here's the second thing about it is you have to understand there's ulterior motives for what God did. He had a reason to do what he did. It was to let, give you grace, let you off, but it was so that you would live godly and holy that it would change you. And that's what the rest of that verse, look at 14 again, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify. So he he did it to be our substitute and then listen to what he says, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Why did he do it? Why did he take our place become sin for us, suffer for us, so that he would own us. You see that? So that he would now, we would be his possession. When something is my possession, now it's mine to use the way that I want to. It's mine. To be his own possession, who are zealous for good works, now all of a sudden he has changed us from the inside out. We are now zealous for good works because we belong to him. Do You know that in Corinthians, and there's another place too, but it says to us he, he bought us with a price or at a price. That price was the cross. When he became our substitute, he purchased us. And he owns us. And so there's this ulterior motive for which he died for us. People with this understanding of grace, they, they begin to have this burden that they carry, this desire to want to live for the one who died for them. But there's these barriers that we have to try to not let influence our true understanding of Grace. We can't let the merit system creep in or we end up thinking that we are, need to do good works in order to earn favor with God. Favor, remember? Grace. That's a word. To earn benefit, to earn credit with God. If we let the merit system creep in, that's what our motive is, is we're trying to earn it and we can't earn it. But if we go too far the other way, then we think that, well, there's nothing for me to do, so therefore I do Nothing. And I just live the way that I want to. And his grace is continues. And that's what Romans 6 is all about. Trying to help understand. It is not free. And so in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 again, it says, For our sake he, be, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He died so that we would live for him. He died so that we would become the righteousness of God. That's why he died. I love what it says just before this. That's in verse 21. If you go up a few verses in verse 14 and 15, this is what it says. It says, for the love of Christ controls me. It completely controls me. The NIV says compels me. Either word is a pretty good word right there, right? It controls, it compels, it, it moves me to behave a certain way. Because we have, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. When, for Jesus died for all, and therefore all of the people that Jesus died for now have died for him or to him. Listen to what it says. He died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him, for, who, for their sake, died and was raised. The type of stories that I appreciate the most that help understand God's grace are where somebody, when steps in, you know, becomes a substitute for another person's wrongdoing and they take that up on themselves. For instance, I, I remember hearing a story in college where this, this judge, he was a, a fair judge, but he also was a compassionate and loving judge, right? And so one time he had this young man come into his courtroom and he had a huge fine. And he had to pay that fine like right then, you know, when he was sentenced. Or he goes to jail for a really long time. And so the judge did what was right. He sentenced him to pay it. The guy says, I can't pay it. He sentenced him to so many years that he was going to have to go to jail uh, or get it paid kind of thing. And then after he sentenced him, the story, and I don't know if this is a true story or not, But it's a good illustration. He gets up off of his throne, up off his bench. He goes down to where this young man was. He gets out his checkbook, and he writes out the check for that. He purchased his freedom literally, right? Tell me how that young man would feel. A little different than the guy that gets off scot-free from the ticket. I bet he did get a, a birthday card or a Christmas card, don't you think? I bet there was a little bit of a burden that he carried for that judge and the way that he talked about that judge, but that's a much better illustration. You know, Matthew and I, we got together on Wednesday, and in our conversation, I asked him, and, and uh, this was just a short conversation among our, the whole conversation, but I asked him, I said, help me find, think of a place in the Old Testament where somebody uh, you know, that was like maybe sentenced to life or they were going to die or something, but somebody comes and and gives their life and place of so that they could live. And we were sitting there thinking, he came up with Esther pretty quick, you know. But again, Esther, I mean, she was willing to give her life for her nation. I guess you could say maybe she was willing to give her life for Mordecai uh, in some way, but but still, it just wasn't quite what I was looking for, Right. And we're just thinking, I mean, we could think of a lot of illustrations where somebody was willing to give somebody else's life, like Abraham was willing to give, you know, his son's life, but that's a little different. I mean, that was still a moving thing, powerful thing, but I don't know, we just had a hard time coming up with it. You know, Jesus says these words, In John chapter 15, verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's what I was trying to come up with. No greater love than this, and somebody lays down his life for his friends. Help me figure out that person that did that. Like an illustration. We have Jesus as an illustration, but is there one in the Old Testament? Maybe you can help me come up with it. I kind of quit thinking about it since then, but... I bet there's something there. Let me close, though, with just sharing with you my favorite story that illustrates, I think, really good, at least in my thinking, God's definition of grace outside of the Bible. This is my favorite story outside of the Bible. It's a movie, and maybe you've seen it. I'm sure that probably most of you have. It's called Saving Private Ryan. I just love the, st- the movie, and you got to watch it. Maybe you need to get permission from your parents if you watch it. Okay, but but uh, and you know kind of the story. They, there's this group of soldiers who were to go find James Ryan, Private James Ryan, because he was like the last of the boys that were alive that, that entered the war. And they wanted to get him so they could take him back to mom. And they went all the way through this and just all that they went through. And a lot of them lost their lives. The clip I'm going to show you (coughs) is uh, where uh, Tom Hanks, who was playing one of the the, uh, soldiers there, is about to die. And he gives a charge to this James Ryan. I want you to see that and then we're going to go back. And I'm going to show you how the movie began, okay, the clip of leading up to how it started. And then we're going to talk and close things out. So these are real quick. And I'm sure you're putting this together, but that's how the movie starts. But that's James Ryan. You know, that's the one, when he was a young kid, um, the officer spoke into his ear there and says, James, earn this, earn this. And, and I, when I was watching that this the other day, just this little clip, I mean, I got real emotional just because I was in there by myself and just thinking about the impact. And as an old guy that's going back to the cemetery there, he just feels this immense burden still, right? A lot of time has traveled and he still feels this immense burden that he has carried from that whole moment on. And at the end of the movie, so that's how the movie begins, and then it tells you the story, and then at the end of the movie, it takes you back to him at the cemetery. And these are some words, I put them up here on the board, but these are the words that he says there at the cemetery. He says, every day... I think about what you said to me on that bridge. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope in your eyes I earned what you have done for me. I just think that's so powerful. It's really a, a great way to try to understand what Jesus has done. How do you define grace? It's the most difficult word, I think, for us to define because of all the things that we got in our world that dilute it and pollute it and, and change it. It can't be earned, we know that. It, I, I don't deserve it, we know that. But here's the thing is, it isn't free, but it is freely given. Right? Just like that. He knows that his life was given to him because these guys came and rescued him from the war and sent him home. But it wasn't free, it was Somebody else had to pay the price for his freedom. Somebody else had to be his substitute. Now try to apply that to our relationship with Jesus. It was a burden that this man carried all of his life. You know what drove him? And at the very end, he also turns to his wife and he says, Tell me that I'm a good man. Tell me that I've done good. And she's confused. She doesn't understand all that's going on into that questioning there. But she says, you are a good man. But he is burdened. He is carrying this burden. Every day he's trying to be good. Why? Because of somebody that gave him this opportunity to be good. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave you life. He's the one who started your life. He's the one who gives you eternal life. And it's because he was a substitute for you. I I believe Jesus knew more than anyone that it is stories that really sink in and help us understand. Because I think we can read, and we've read it. We've read these verses over and over and over But I think that Jesus knows more than anything that we need to see it. We need to feel it. We need to be emotionally connected with it. And I have no doubt that that's why he made it possible for him to hang on a cross, right? For everyone to see. And then he says things like this. I will draw, I will be hung on high and I will draw all men to myself. He knows that that will impact, that people will understand what he has done there. I get that. And it is a burden that I carry. It is, it is what makes me want to be perfect, even though I know I won't be perfect, but it drives me to, to try to be perfect It drives me to want to be a good person. Not because I'm trying to earn salvation, but because I was already given it. I've already was given it, and I know that it costs somebody something. How do you define grace? We partake of it in the form of communion every week, grace. This is grace. It's, it's not ironic, actually. It, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? That what we do is something that is very visual, it's very tangible, it's, it's something that we even put in ourselves. It's, it's a story. Every time we come up here, we remember the story of him hanging on the cross. John 15, verse 13, it says, For greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus said these words, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Somebody that understands God's grace completely gets that, don't they? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Because then the friend's like, yeah, that's my... That is my privilege to do what you command. That's not my burden. That's what I want to do is I want to please you, honor you, love you in this way. Let me pray and then we're going to come and partake of this table. Father God, we thank you so much for grace. Help us, Father, to not take it for granted To walk out of these rooms and to be somebody who is not ever burdened by it. But help us, Father, to comprehend so that we can be um, controlled by the love of Christ. To be compelled to live a way that is honoring you. We thank you so much, Father, for what we have. You have literally died for us, that we may live for you. Father, as we come and partake and we remember this story of how you did that, when we partake of this juice and we remember the blood that was shed on our behalf, when we partake of this bread, that we remember the man who shed that blood for us. Help us, Father, to be changed by this grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.